Welcome to First Baptist Church in Belton. We are glad you found us. We seek to know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally together. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Welcome, church. I'm so grateful that you've chosen to worship today. And over the next several weeks till the end of October, I'm going to be dealing with some subjects that I hope will encourage our hearts and prepare us for the future in these days of transition. So if you have your Bible with you today, I want to ask you to open it to the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter. John chapter 19, we're going to read two verses this morning, two verses 28 and 29 of John's Gospel, the 19th chapter. The message this morning is entitled, How Much Does Jesus Love Us? And that's that's where I want to start for these last weeks of my ministry with you as your senior pastor. I want us to think today about just how much Jesus loves us. We talk about it. We say, Jesus loves me. We sing about it. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. So many of our songs are about the fact that Jesus loves us. Yet I think there are times when we go through experiences and it may cause us to wonder, does Jesus remember me? Does he really love me? And the answer to that question is a resounding yes. And I hope as we deal with this passage of Scripture today, it'll be indelibly etched into your heart and your mind as as an individual follower of Christ and collectively as the body called First Baptist Belton, that you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus loves you with an everlasting and an infinite love. So the two verses that I want to read this morning take place right in the middle of the greatest demonstration of all, the fact that Jesus loves us, and that is his crucifixion. And so those two verses say, the 28th verse of 19th chapter of John, later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. So I want us to think about those two verses this morning with understanding that in the text, Jesus is near now to death, near to breathing his last on the cross, and his crucifixion, is once again the clearest statement in all of Scripture of just how much Jesus truly loves you and loves me. Thirst is powerful, isn't it? You ever been thirsty? I mean, have you ever really been thirsty? Thirst is a powerful drive in the human body. Years ago, in the 70s, three friends of mine and I left Fort Bliss, Texas on a long weekend, and we drove to the Grand Canyon in Arizona. We had always wanted to see it. I'd wanted to see it. My friends had wanted to see it. None of us had ever been to the Grand Canyon. So we set out driving late Friday afternoon after we finished our work. Now, understand where we're from. I was from Georgia, and my three friends were from Florida, Kentucky, and Missouri. 
And remember that none of us knew anything about thirst. I mean, real thirst. Because where we'd grown up, there were creeks, there were ponds, there were lakes, there were streams everywhere. In fact, in the property where I grew up, we had a creek that ran through our land that was less than a football field length from our front door. So we were surrounded by water. We knew water, never really known thirst. Oh, yeah, I played sports, so I got thirsty. I worked outside, so I got thirsty. But I still didn't know what real thirst was. And I had my first flirtation with it at Fort Bliss because it sure is dry in El Paso. Still didn't really know anything about thirst yet. But I was just about to find out. So we drove all night long, finally got to Flagstaff, Arizona, about 3 in the morning. It had been 100 degrees when we drove through Phoenix. Now, four hours later, we arrive in Flagstaff, and it's 32 degrees, and we're exhausted. I said to my friend, I can't go any farther. Let's just stop. We pulled off the side of the road, got our tents out of of the trunk, threw them over a barbed wire fence, uh, climbed the fence, and, and set up our tents and went to sleep. Woke up at sunrise, got out of our tents to pack them up and go on to the canyon and discovered we were surrounded, surrounded by cows. (laughs) I'm just glad the rancher didn't find us sleeping on his land and decided to run us off with a little buckshot. But anyway, we folded up our tents, got in the car, drove on the short distance to the Grand Canyon, and there we beheld the glory of God and his creation. I'd never seen anything like it. Neither had my buddies. The South Rim was absolutely spectacular. We spent the day hiking and walking around and looking at it. And then that evening, I said, I'm a little frustrated with the crowd. It really, there really are a lot of people here. Why don't we go to the North Rim tomorrow morning? That sounded like a good idea to my buddies. So we got up real early, packed up our tents, put them in the trunk, drove to the North Rim of the Grand Canyon. You can see it from the South Rim. almost feel like you can touch it. But it's about a four-hour drive to get there. We got to the North Rim, and there weren't many people there. And we were so glad we did because the beauty was absolutely breathtaking. Well, one of us had another bright idea as the sun set, and we were chowing down and getting ready to go to bed for the night. One of us said, why don't we hike to the bottom of the canyon tomorrow? Yeah, everybody agreed. That's a good idea. (laughs) Well, it was a good idea, I suppose, because it's it's unbelievably beautiful, but we didn't come prepared to do that except for our tennis shoes and our T-shirts and our shorts, and that's all. We didn't have canteens. We didn't have anything. We're just there, look like tourists from the states we came from. And so in the morning, we got up early, and we started the journey down from the north rim of the Grand Canyon to hike all the way as far as we could go. And it was it was incredibly beautiful. We got to the bottom. We spent some time there and taking pictures with our cameras. And then we decided it's time to go up because we knew that it would take longer to go up than it took to come down. And we took about 25 steps up. And I turned around and looked at my buddies and I said, guys, we're in trouble. We were. We didn't have any water. Our legs were already throbbing, and we had only gone down and getting ready to go back up. And I could try to regale you with a with an incredible story for the next hour, but I'm not going to do that. I just want you to know 
there could not possibly have been four less intelligent men on the face of the earth than the four of us. We spent the rest of the day till sunset hiking all the way to the top. And we were so thirsty, so exhausted. I don't know how we made it. Frankly, I don't know how we made it. The only water we found was at those, in those days, the park service would put tin cans underneath water that was dripping out of the rocks. And if you were fortunate enough to get to a tin can before someone else did, you could get a little swig of water. And that's all we found all the way back up to the top. We were totally dehydrated when we got to the top and absolutely exhausted and really sick. If we hadn't been young and in good shape, I imagine we would have all four landed in the hospital. But we somehow survived it. But even now, all these years later, when someone says the word Grand Canyon, my tongue goes dry just thinking about it. Oh, I've been back, and I'll go back again if I have the chance, but I still remember what it's like to really be thirsty. Now, picture Jesus on the cross. A crucifixion could take days for someone to die. That's why they broke the legs of the thieves on the either side of Jesus because the bodies had to come down off the cross before sunset in the beginning of Sabbath. Jesus was already dead. They didn't have to break his legs in accordance with prophecy. And so someone could hang on the cross for days. No water. Sometimes they would literally go crazy on the cross. Other times they would become comatose. The torture, the pain was horrible, and the thirst was unbearable. And so Jesus on the cross, the fluids are gone out of his body. His tongue is swollen. His lips are chapped and cracked. What little saliva he has is thick like glue. He is in agonizing pain, including the soreness that's in his throat. His voice is raspy, almost unintelligible. And the scripture says, Jesus says, I am thirsty. In the Greek, that's one word, dipso. And that's what he said, dipso, I am thirsty. Now I can picture, as you perhaps have, the angels in heaven ready to come and rescue him. Perhaps saying to God the Father, dear God, please let us go and rescue your son. If God had said, go get him, would have been a glorious moment for the angels, but a horrible moment for us, for there would have been no hope, no salvation for you and for me. And so with that in mind, I want us to think about how much Jesus loves us. And I want to offer four things from this text that I believe point out to us just how much Jesus loves us. And the first is this. He loves us enough to fulfill prophecy. He loves us enough to fulfill prophecy. It says that in the text that we read a moment ago. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He fulfilled Old Testament prophecy perfectly in his life, beginning with his virgin birth in a stable in Bethlehem, and then every step of the way fulfilling prophecy to this very moment, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. In Psalm 69, 21, there is a prophetic verse about the fact that the Messiah would, would be given vinegar to drink. And here it's fulfilled. When Jesus says, I'm thirsty, dipso, I'm thirsty, they give him wine vinegar. It's God's plan unfolding 
just as he ordained it for his glory and for our salvation. In spite of his agony, Jesus is fully aware of all Scripture. He knows it is imminent to being fulfilled. And so he demonstrates the answer to our question, how much does he love us? See the cross and hear these words. Dipso, I am thirsty. So those near the cross, the soldiers give him some wine vinegar. They put it on a sponge on a hyssop branch, reminding us, certainly reminding Jesus of Exodus chapter 12, where God said, take the sponge, the hyssop, dip it in the lamb's blood, paint it on the doorpost of your home, the death angel will pass over you. And we are reminded of that in this fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. The death of Jesus minutely was planned by God. There is nothing out of control here. This is exactly as God planned it. He loves us so much that His only Son, literally God Himself in the flesh, would endure this for you and me. Does this cause gratitude to well up in your heart when you think about how much Jesus loves you? You think about the cross. You think about these statements from the cross, including Dipso, I am thirsty. We sang a few moments ago, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus, the Nazarene. Wonder how he could love me a sinner condemned unclean. Oh, how marvelous. Oh, how wonderful is his love for you and me. And our hearts are filled with gratitude. This week I received an email, a lengthy email from someone who grew up in our church and is now in the ministry. And I was so joyful to hear from her. And she shared with me, hearing that I'm retiring, she shared with me all that I had meant to her. And... I was overwhelmed. Now, I don't say that because I want you to send me an email telling me whether you appreciate me or not. It was a reminder to me that before I step out, there's some folks to whom I need to write and say, thank you for all that you mean to me and for blessing my life. And when we think about how much Jesus loves us, there should well up within us an overwhelming sense of gratitude that causes us from the overflow of our hearts to say to Him every day, thank you. I am so grateful, Lord Jesus. How much does Jesus love us? I want to suggest a second reason from this text. He loves us enough to make clear His identity. He loves us enough to make clear His identity. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh, but He's also fully man. He voluntarily gave up the glory of heaven to be born in a stable and begin His journey 
as fully man. You ever stop to think about where he was and where he came? All that he gave up to come and dwell in this place, to dwell among men and to give his life for us? That's how much he loves us. Through my nearly half a century of ministry, one of the greatest privileges has been for me to have the opportunity to, to, to know and to, to meet and to know missionaries, our missionaries who serve all over the world. Absolutely an amazing privilege to know so many and to have the opportunity to actually visit some of them where, where they live and where they serve. And although our mission board takes, tries to take very good care of our missionaries, there's no question but that for many of them in the places that they live, it's not anywhere anywhere near like it is at home. And I can remember one of one of my trips years ago to the Holy Land and having the opportunity of calling a couple that had gone out from our church to serve in, um, in the Palestinian territory. And they lived in a small village not too far from Bethlehem. And so I called them. They knew I was coming. I called. And and so Don said, Pastor, I'll, I'll come to Jerusalem and I'll pick you up and I'll bring you to our, our house and you can have dinner with us and we'll visit together. So in a little while, Don showed up and we had a wonderful visit as we were driving to his village. And as we got ready to pull into his village, he said, Pastor, I need to ask you to please bend over so that you can't be seen out the windows and just stay there until I tell you it's okay. He said, it's not safe for me to bring an American into our village. Now, I was not scared by that, but I was amazed that Don was risking himself to bring me to his house to visit with his family. So we turned around later and repeated the same thing as we went back to Jerusalem. Two years later, I was there again, and this time Don said, Pastor, I'm coming to see you, but you can't come to our home this time. It's just not safe. And I remember thinking about that and thinking of all that Don and his wife Peggy and their two little children, all that they had when they were living in our community and that now they were voluntarily, willingly serving in a place with such strife and danger in order to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And that takes me back to this text that reminds us of, of what Jesus gave up in leaving the glories of heaven to come and dwell among men in this, in this world and then to go through the horror of the cross that you and I might be saved. I am thirsty. Shows his humanity. In Matthew chapter 27 in verses 33 and 34, it tells us that before he was lifted up on the cross, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. Gall is a painkiller. And when Jesus tasted it, he refused it. He knew what it was and he refused it. He did not want anything that would dull his senses, but he wanted to experience it all. 
as he suffered for you and for me. So much he loves us. What a, what a paradox. Jesus started his ministry hungry in the wilderness temptation experience and he ends it thirsty, hanging on a cross. The Gospels show him hungry, thirsty, tired, sleepy. He lived in our world fully man. They all they gave him, when he said, I'm thirsty, the common cheap wine that was kept in jars at the places of crucifixion. And the Roman soldiers would dip the sponge in it and then put it up to the mouth of the one being crucified. And please don't think that was a nice thing for the Roman soldiers to do. That was not their intent. It was part of their cruelty. For they knew if they could get a one on the cross to take a little bit of liquid into his body that he would live longer that he would suffer longer that they 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 could help to prolong his agony and that's why they did it they didn't do it to be nice they did it to add to the torture of the one on the cross but jesus had a clear purpose in taking that wine vinegar that hyssop branch would have been no longer than 24 inches. That's as long as they get. And so as they put it up, you get the picture. We often think of those who were crucified being high up on a cross. No, the crosses were not tall. In fact, Jesus and others who were crucified would have been just a little above eye level as they were crucified. And that was done on purpose too so that those who passed by could mock and hurl insults and be right face to face with those who were being crucified. It was a horrific way to die. And so Jesus' body cried out. He had experienced already the agony of the beatings, the nails driven through His hands and and feet, the crown of thorns, enormous blood loss, fluids gone, mockery of men, and the ultimate desolation of having his father turn his face away when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He carried the spiritual burden of my sin and yours. He was drained of strength. Only then did he say, I am thirsty. Dip so. How much? Does Jesus love us? Here's the third thing. Enough to make final preparation. Enough to make final preparation. Now, are you are you with me? Here's the crucial moment. We, we have reached the climax of history. It's about to happen. This, this is it. Though weak and in agony, Jesus is still in control. He knows He's fulfilling Scripture. He knows everything that's going on. He's in control. And he says, I am thirsty. Dipso. And that is a word of preparation. You may say, well, I I know he was thirsty. And I've heard that it was one word in the Greek. But how is it a word of preparation? Because Jesus had two more things to say. Two more things to say from the cross. And it's essential that he be heard. 
so that it can be recorded in Scripture for eternity. They put the wine vinegar to his mouth. So I ask again, how much does Jesus love us? That brings us to number four. Enough to finish his purpose. Enough to finish his purpose. For a moment, just a moment, his tongue is moist and his throat is wet. And according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke in their Gospels, he calls out, he cries out loudly or he shouts, It is finished. To Telestai, one Greek word again. He shouts it. It is finished. What does that word mean? Paid in full. It's an accounting term. Jesus said, paid in full. Your sin has been paid for. It is finished. And then he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Coming to you to await Sunday and the resurrection. Two statements that ring out across the years. He paid the price so that you and I can be saved. It is finished. How much does Jesus love us? How much does Jesus love us? that much church don't ever forget it in the days ahead whatever may come as God pours out his blessings upon you remember how much he loves you and in the days to come when experiences may be challenging they may be tough there may be pain there may be sorrow there may be loss remember Jesus loves us He loves us that much. Remember when he cried out, it is finished. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus, his death on the cross, his incredible, glorious resurrection. Thank you for loving us that much. We are a grateful, grateful people. Help us to remember every day just how much Jesus loves us. In His name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining with us today, church. And I know that some of you are part of the church family. Others of you are watching from somewhere in Bell County or somewhere in Texas or the United States or even another country, and we are so glad you've chosen to join with us. And in a moment, I'm going to pronounce the benediction that we've been praying since March 15th. But thank you for your faithfulness, church, and stewardship. Thank you for your encouragement and your prayers. But as I conclude today, I want to ask everybody who's watching one question, and and this is it. Do you know Jesus? If the answer to that question is no, or I'm not sure, 
that I want to plead, I want to plead with you today to, to remember from the words of Scripture just how much Jesus loves you and He went through all of that for you. So will you call out to Him today and say, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you from this day forward. If you will pray that prayer, if you will call out to Jesus, let us know. There's contact information on the screen in front of you now. Let us know. We'd like to share some information with you that will help you to grow as a follower of Christ. Now, our benediction. To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to call the church at 254-939-0705 if you need prayer or need to talk with someone. We're here to listen, help, and encourage.